Mr. Hamilton. Like I mentioned earlier, he had meetings at First Baptist Church in Hamburg. It was many years ago that we saw him in a restaurant. That's where Rich and Penny attend. Okay, this social media. We are enjoying our Sabbath afternoon service as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Our text is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried. Yes, it continues. But He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The Lord Jesus taught us to remember His death, I believe, regularly. And so our text is verses 3 and first part of verse 4. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried. I think, I'm not going to elaborate much on He was buried, but I think it's an underrated doctrine. And He was buried certainly is proof that He was dead, although there are people that have been buried who were very much alive. But they many different uh, sources to be assured that Jesus was dead but that it fulfilled the prophecy of scripture and it certainly was there are those that debate whether it was the last part of his suffering or the first part of his his uh, exaltation because it says he was buried with the rich in his death so Jesus was privileged with the tomb of a rich man rather than as criminals were taken out to be buried in a common grave which the other two no doubt were taken out to be buried but Jesus wasn't buried in a common grave or the graveyard of criminals so it indeed would be very well the first part of his exaltation but also it is part of His humiliation because the Son of God, the glorious Savior, was laid in a tomb for you and me. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper, communion table. Jesus commanded His disciples to engage in this drama, if you will, of redemption. He said, do this in remembrance of me. It's not a means of our salvation. It's not a means of our conversion. It's also called communion of the body and blood of Christ. And so, communion is a synonym for uh, fellowship with God and, and sanctification, growing in grace. The Lord left us with two particular symbols. There were many symbols in the Old Testament in the ceremonial laws. The Lord left us with baptism in the Lord's Supper. Baptism represents regeneration when our sins are washed away. 
The Lord's Supper represents our sanctification, communion with God on a regular basis. May I say, and it's not always practiced in Protestantism, that no unbaptized person should take communion. It's a mixed message. If you've not been baptized and you take communion, what is it saying but I'm being sanctified without being regenerated? Sanctification follows regeneration. It's not to be reversed. And yet, there are churches that do not warn and do not caution unbaptized people to not take communion. In other words, what the the symbolism is, no unconverted person should engage in a symbol that speaks of fellowship with God. No unconverted person can have fellowship with God. And yet there are people that protest that that should not be a caution. The Lord tells us that for us to come to the table, that even backslidden believers should not come. How much more unsaved or unbelievers. The Lord tells us we're to examine ourselves before we partake. And so I caution all of us if there's any unconfessed sin, if there's any sin in our life that is not under the blood, is not being forsaken, then we are not to give a mixed message. Our message when we take the bread and the cup is I have fellowship with God. And I'm, I'm not only a saved person, but I'm walking with the Lord. I've confessed my sins and I'm intending to forsake them. So it is a very serious uh, means of worship. Jesus said it's to be in remembrance of His death. Remembrance of me and in particular His death. What does it mean, remembrance? Remembrance. We think of remember as just a, a brief, oh, I forgot that. But remember is something that we should stay with it. Remember is to think on purpose. It's, to, it's Remember the words in Ecclesiastes, do... Uh, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Does it mean, oh, think about Him briefly? No, it means keep Him in mind. And in particular, this is to jar our, our thinking. This is, if we have not had Him in mind, certainly it is to bring Him to mind and then to keep Him in mind. This should be a trigger for all of us if we have been walking afar off and if our mind... We can say like Jeremiah, I've forgotten you days without number. Well, this is a helpful uh, means of worship to trigger us to think about the Lord, to meditate on Him reverently, to recall joyfully what He did for us at Calvary. Me, Jesus, the Redeemer. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until He comes. Isn't, doesn't that sound like contradictory terms? The Lord's death. Lord and death. We shouldn't expect the Lord to die. He's the, he's the Lord of glory. He's, the, he's the, the Lord of life. And yet, it's the Lord's death. That just seems so incongruous. But that's how... Our salvation necessitated the death of the Lord. As we just sang, 
Ron Hamilton's hymn that mentioned how the Son of God, that God gave Himself for us. And it's not improper to say God died. Jesus was God. Now, it would be improper for us to say God's nature died. But Jesus is God. And so we can indeed say God died. What a, what a humble thought that is. The Lord has commanded that we give Him a day, a week, for His resurrection. How often should we remember His death? Well, the Bible says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. And I don't think he's saying there you should do it often. To us, the word often means frequently. I'm not denying it should be frequent. And I'll show you why the Bible does teach it should be frequent. But the idea of often is um, every time. Every time you eat and drink like this, you do show the Lord's death till He comes. Every time that you eat and drink does not show His death. When we eat breakfast or lunch or dinner. But as often, every time you eat and drink in this way, you do show my death. So don't worry. Though it often doesn't mean frequent in the sense that we understand it, it should be often as we understand it, because he says in verse 24, this do in remembrance of me. The word do is present tense. Be doing this. That sounds like it's something that should be repeated. That sounds like something that should be uh, not seldom. What does it mean to do this in remembrance of me? You see that often on communion tables. In Rye, or do this in remembrance of me. The word do means to practice, to undertake, to engage in, to be responsible for. And so indeed, be doing should certainly means regularly. How regular? Obviously the Lord didn't tell us. He didn't say do this weekly or do this yearly. I would think, and I think most Protestant churches agree, that yearly is too seldom. Spurgeon would say that anything anything more uh, seldom than weekly is, is not often enough. Now most denominations have decided on at least monthly. We are Required by our Presbyterian, we're part of it and voting for it, but that this church shall have communion no, uh, what's the word, no, no, no seldom, is that the way you could say it? No less frequently than week, than monthly. But we may, we may practice weekly. And I think we would agree that daily might be too frequent. The idea is that we make sure that we engage in something like this, that we do it thoughtfully and prayerfully, and, and that we don't grind when we worship the Lord. Now, of course, any of us who have cold hearts are going to grind in a worship service, aren't we? We're not going to have oil. We're not going to. It's not going to be enjoyable. We need the Holy Spirit, don't we, to have enjoyable, reverent worship? 
And so we're to certainly often, in the way we know it, often should be at least monthly that we remember the Lord's death. But I hope that that we're still thinking of the Lord's death daily that he lived and he died for for us. So it, it says, do this in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians 15 says that Christ died. Let that sink in for a moment. Christ died. If anyone deserved to live, it was Jesus Christ. You know, as far as I can tell, Jesus would have never died if no one had killed him. He had no sin. There was not that death knell in him. Well, you say he was he was a man. Yes. But Adam and Eve would have never died if they didn't sin. They'd have continued to live. Adam would have lived longer than, what was it, 905 years for Adam? Pardon? Maybe it was 930. There was a different patriarch. Thank you. 930 years. I suppose Eve, Eve was less than that because she had to put up with Adam. And she had to bear many children. But it doesn't tell us. It does tell us Sarah lived 127 years. And that's pretty long, isn't it? Jesus died. That tells us that He became a curse for us because it wasn't natural for Him to die. It is natural for you and me to be dying because we are natural sinners. He became a curse for us, we're told in Galatians. In other words, He had a bitter experience. When Jesus was dying, He was not dying like you and I may die, comforted by our loved ones around us. The Lord wants us to comfort each other in our time of dying. You'll be with the Lord soon. Your sins are forgiven. Singing hymns and psalms around our deathbeds if there's time. But Jesus didn't have people singing around the cross. He didn't have comfort of His family. His Father wasn't comforting Him. His Father was cursing, as it were. In our place, He became a sin offering. For you and me. Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He was suffering. He was being penalized. It was penalty for Christ. Physical suffering. But especially spiritual suffering. The Lord tells us that He used many executioners not only God was executing Jesus, but Jesus spoke about bulls and dogs and lions, soldiers and Gentiles, Jews. They were all condemning Him. Even His own people fled from the scene. I remember reading, and as I read the commentary of Leviticus, Bonner mentions when he talks about the people slaying priest slaying, the priest cutting up. and There were many executioners to Jesus' death like there were many executioners and butchers when the animals died. So God used many to be executioners. But there was one condemnation that could only come from heaven when Jesus was condemned 
to suffer the wrath of God, the penalty for sin, broken law. That's that middle cry. And it's not an accident that it's the middle cry. Why hast thou forsaken me? Do you notice he doesn't say, My Father, my Father. He said, Father, forgive them. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He's sensing at the beginning and the end of his experience the fellowship with his Father. He doesn't say, My Father, my Father. He doesn't sense a fatherly love at that when he's now being condemned and our sins are being debited, imputed to his account. He is feeling the worst, as if he's the worst sinner in all the world. What's it feel like to have all the sins of millions of believers, as it were, saturate you without making you a sinner? Can you imagine the, the, the weight of that burden of imputed sin? And that cry again, I restored, I'm restoring that which I didn't take away. I'm paying for something someone else did. And that question, who knoweth the power of His anger? Have you ever read that question? Jesus knew it. He knew the power, the weight of God's wrath. And only the people in hell, if you open a portal of Hades, they're the ones that are now uh, experiencing the, the power of God's anger. Oh, it sometimes makes you shudder when you think about someone who dies without Christ and immediately they realize that God is a consuming fire, that God's anger reverberates through their soul day after day after day. Christ died. Jesus describes someone who dies without Him as being in torments. Jesus was tormented by God's wrath. Christ died. Let us never forget and it was for our sins. The for is a preposition that means in behalf of, in the place of. In other words, He died a substitutionary death. A vicarious death. We read of that same preposition, pray for them which despitefully use you. It's an interesting statement. Pray on their behalf. When we pray for sinners to be saved, what is the Lord saying? They're not praying themselves. We're praying for them in their place. They don't care. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They underestimate the wrath of God. And when we pray, Oh God, save my loved one, they're not, what we're saying is they're not wanting to pray themselves. They don't know how lost they are and how endangered they are. You see why prayer is so important? We're praying on their behalf. We're praying on the behalf of believers that are walking away from God and they don't know the, the, the sadness of their state. That they're stunting their growth. That they're grieving the Spirit of God. So we pray for them in their behalf. Lord, revive this brother or sister. 
this son or daughter. Awaken them to realize their life is short. Eternity is long. and It's a pleasure to serve the Lord. And they're denying the greatest pleasure in the world. As Paul said, I labor to please God. Is that your greatest pleasure and treasure? To serve the Lord? For our sins. We're sinners. We're sinners because we sin or we sin because we're sinners. See the difference? We sin because we're sinners. You and I, if we're believers today, we're saying we're sinners saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. But of Jesus, He's saying, Psalm 69.4, the prophecy, I restore that which I took not away. Jesus, it wasn't your fault. It was our fault that You had to come. It was our fault that You had to die for us. We're at fault. Let's remember that. We're at fault. Let's not blame the Gentiles and the Jews that lived in that day. We crucified Christ. It was our fault. He had to die for our sins to save us. And notice it's according to Scriptures. The writings. And he's referring particularly from Genesis to Malachi. In other words, this is saying it was not an afterthought. God didn't now have to plan B, have a plan B to save sinners because Adam messed up. No, it wasn't a surprise to the Lord. The Bible talks about Christ before the foundation of the world being decreed to die. Aren't you glad that God didn't say to Adam, Cursed art thou? You and I would never be saved. We would be like the fallen angels. you imagine now being alive, have no hope? How scary that must be when, a, when someone is awakened to that fact. As I said in Sunday school this morning, God didn't curse Adam. He cursed Adamah, the word for ground. And Adam knew. Adam heard that Hebrew expression. Cursed art thou. No, cursed is Adama. Instead of hearing cursed are you, Adam. Cursed is the ground. Unlike Cain, when God said, Cursed art thou. The Hebrew expression for cursed sounds like aurora. We know the New Testament expression is anathema. If any man love not our Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Oh, to die and be accursed. It's horrible. Accursed. Forever. The dark cloud over the soul. 
where there's no society. Everyone's groaning. What good is the neighbor in the bed next door when everyone is groaning? You remember Joel Beakey saying in his early, early part of his ministry, visiting a hospital, and the patients were, there were two beds in the room, and they were so preoccupied with their suffering, there was no society. You know, you hear people say, well, I'm going to be with my friends. You ever been with a friend and you're both sick? Is there any joy? Is there any society? Is there any fellowship when you're both moaning and groaning over your sickness? Don't deceive yourself. Like a brother here said when someone said, Hell is here. He pointed this man to a water fountain and said, No, it isn't, because you can take a glass of water today. There's not even a glass, there's not even a water fountain in hell. The rich man, not just simply because he was rich, but Jesus says he called for Lazarus, just treating Lazarus still as a slave. He called for Lazarus, and all he wanted was one drop. You ever been so dry? Mouth, you want just one drop? It says of Cain, interestingly, you are cursed more than the ground. The ground will be renewed. The ground that God cursed in Eden it's going to now be renewed. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. So he said to Cain, you're cursed beyond the ground. The ground has hope. You have no hope. You'll never be renewed. One of the saddest statements is Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. But Jesus became a curse for us This isn't just language of condemnation. This is real. He became. That's the same word. He became man. He became a curse. He felt it. It was real. He was cursed. Fallen man, we have the curse of the law. Christ became a curse for us. The day of atonement was when Jesus heard, Cursed art thou. No wonder the agony of the garden. Adam enjoyed the garden. Christ agonized in his garden. The feeling of being cursed. Deep rejection. Awful separation. Hopeless suffering. Eternal incarceration. You can't linger long on the thought of condemnation without just shuddering. According to the Scriptures, and I'd like us just ponder that truth. He, he died according to the Scriptures. That tells me it was on time. It was planned. It's like Jesus opened the Scriptures and opened their understanding. He showed from the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms the things concerning Himself. What an exposition of the Bible that was. He showed them the things about the resurrection. He showed them the things about His 
incarnation. He showed them the things about his life. But Jesus showed them that my death was prophesied. From Genesis to Malachi. Can you think with me? Genesis. Jesus died according to Genesis. Where is it? Thou shalt crush his heel. How about the ark as a symbol of Christ being tossed to and fro, the wind and the waves and the water? The ark took the brunt of God's wrath, and all the inhabitants were safe and secure. Oh, they felt the pelting, the noise had to be loud, thunderous, the thunder that was occurring, the lightning. The waves. And there are times that you and, he, you and I feel, we feel the condemnation that we deserve. And even at the Lord's table, we may feel in a, or sense what it took for Christ to pay for our sins. And sometimes even the Lord leaves us. You ever wonder one of the reasons why sometimes God's at a distance? Or God lets you go through a dark tunnel in your life? Could it not be at least one of the reasons He wants us to feel a little bit about what Christ had to suffer or what we would have had to suffer if not for Christ? Who is among you that feareth the Lord and obeyeth the voice of His servant who walketh in darkness and hath no light? That describes a a condemned person. But it says no. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. You know, some lost person might say, you've never felt it. You're a Christian. Oh, God lets us go through hard times where He seems at a distance and we cry like David, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet David was, was exaggerating because God never forsakes a believer. He forsook Christ. But David so felt a distance from God and the pursuit of his enemies. He describes his enemies as bulls, as dogs, as lions. Some of you know that more than others. But could it not be God is saying, this is what you have received forever. This is what Jesus felt. Totally separated, isolated, suffering. For you and me. Say what you will, three hours is still a long time for the Son of God. If I know that my suffering is not because of condemnation, I can take it. Because though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. He promises. He promises to be with us. Christ died according to Exodus. Where do you find Christ's death in Exodus? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. All those innocent lambs. Behold the Lamb of God in Exodus. Takes away the sins of the world. Christ died for our sins according to Leviticus. 
No, I don't have time to go through every book. I'm just giving a sampling. So stay with me. Christ died for our sins according to Leviticus. The blood of bulls and goats and lambs and birds. Oh, the gory, the slaying, the bloodshed, the cutting open, all the parts being laid on the fire and being consumed. Behold the Lamb of God. Christ died for our sins. Deuteronomy. He that is hanged is accursed. The cross of Calvary all the way back to Deuteronomy. He that is hanged upon a tree is accursed. Joshua, Jericho is accursed. Could it be that Samson who slew more of his enemies in death than in life. Do you know that Jesus' death did not only affect His people in our salvation, it underlined the condemnation of sinners. A sinner at Judgment Day is going to say, this isn't fair for me to die for my sins and for Jesus to stand up and say, was it fair for me to die when I was a sinless Savior? I was condemned to die. You rejected the only substitute. So you have decided to suffer on your own. So would we, but by the grace of God. Christ died for our sins according to the Psalms. Psalm 22. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My bones are out of joint. My tongue cleaves to the roof of my mouth. They pierce my hands and my feet. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, Psalm 16. Psalm 69, He gave me gall for my meat and vinegar to drink. Psalm 118, the stone that's refused. Isaiah 50, verse 6, Christ died according to Isaiah. My back I was given to the smiters and my cheeks to those who plucked off my hair. You ever had hair ripped out of your scalp? By an accident? By someone pulling? We're, we're given something that we didn't see in the New Testament. But it happened. Scripture's always fulfilled. Isaiah 52.14 His visage was so marred more than any man. And who cannot forget Isaiah 53? Despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised for our peace. With His stripes we are healed. He bore the iniquity of us all as a lamb taken to the slaughter. He had His grave with the wicked. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. And He became an offering for sin. And He saw the travail of His soul and satisfied. Christ died according to Daniel. Messiah will be cut off. Christ died according to Jonah. As 
Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. So Jesus will be dead three days and three nights. Christ died according to Zechariah. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And you know John and Peter and James and they all say we're in that text. We scattered. We weren't there for him. And even John will confess I was only there because for Mary. Or I was only there because I had a, a connection to the high priest. I wasn't faithful to Christ. Christ died according to the Gospels. He said, The Son of Man shall be crucified. This is real. Christ died for our sins. This is to jolt our thoughts. To quicken our our coldness. To remove the coldness. To quicken us. To set us the rest of this week thinking about the sacrifice of the Savior. The fact that our sins are forgiven. That we're children of the Most High God. We have a, a people to reach that won't pray for themselves. They won't come to church for themselves. So we pray in, on their behalf. And it's, it's only right for us to stay right with God so that we might be useful to one another and useful to a lost world. And this is blessed time. A time to get right with the Lord and a time to determine to stay right with the Lord. To see Jesus crucified for us. Lord Jesus, thank You for this time. Please revive us. Give us a glorious sight, Lord, of, of Your atoning work. Thank You, Lord. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You for becoming incarnate and living in such a way that when it came time to die, they found no spot in You. No blemish. You restored by Your death what You didn't take away. We took it away, Lord. Please bless us at this time. Sanctify us. Please help us to commune with You. This is Your supper, Lord. It belongs to You. We are privileged to be here today.